Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name tonight for help as we study the word that it would come alive. I pray that tonight you would provoke a bunch of us to go on a journey in studying a thought process, a, a passage or two or three of scripture that we've maybe not spent much time in before. I pray, Lord, that tonight you'd begin the journey for some, that tonight would just be the start and that you would seed some things that are going to wind up growing up into big trees later on in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And we can bring those lights down just a little bit, the ones that, uh, the house lights we want up, uh, the stage lights just down a little bit. <clears throat> Thank you. So this is the book of Revelation. Perfect. Session 76. This is called the Song of Moses and the Lamb. Now, what I want to just give us a little reminder of what we're doing. We are trying to become experts at the book of Revelation around here. That's a desire in our hearts. We don't want to know it a little bit. We don't want to have heard it taught once. We want to have some real clarity about it. And so there's some things that we do. One, there's a set every week where they read through the book of Revelation with instrumental up on the stage. There's, there's uh, musicians on the stage playing along to the book of Revelation being read all the way through. We do it every week. Uh, where there was a time uh, in the ministry's history where there were about 20 to 30 of us that made a commitment. We're going to read the book of Revelation ourselves every week for three years. And there were about 20 of us that did it. And we were really committed to the book of Revelation. We, we did a verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation about 10 or 12, 15 years ago. It's been a while. 10 plus years ago, we did a verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation. Well, now we're going back through it again. And in this series, what we're doing is we're going slow enough that we can digest the information conceptually, one concept in the book of Revelation at a time. Instead of uh, a whole chapter or a whole passage even that might have multiple different layers in it, we're trying to do the best that we can to look at one concept at a time in order that we could actually talk about that concept long enough to understand it so that the next time we read through the book of Revelation and we get to that concept, we go, ah, I know what that is. I've got some clarity on that. That's not a weird word to me anymore. That's not a weird phrase. I understand that theme well. So that as we read the book of Revelation, and now I'm putting the onus back on you, as you read and study the book of Revelation independently, you'll have the tools you need to read it and know what you're looking at, that you've gotten a little bit of familiarity with some of the themes, and hopefully most of the themes by the time we're done. So tonight is just, I just want to tell you, tonight's a strange session, and it's strange for the following reason. We're going to do a whole session on one phrase... And it's a phrase that is stated and then almost nothing else is said about it in the book of Revelation. But it's in there. And it's the more that I've looked at it, the more I've studied and kind of gotten ready for tonight. And the reason I even made it a session is I believe this phrase is another one of those. You've heard me say this a couple of times in this series as we've been going through Revelation. This is another one of what I believe to be the most loaded phrases in the entire book of Revelation. This is a loaded phrase. This is a a phrase that means a lot. In fact, as I was prepping for tonight, I was like, it's a tragedy that the one phrase isn't a three-part series. 
that we're only going to just do one little kind of, you know, glazing over, just, just, a, just a, a real quick, you know, look at it tonight. There is so much meat for the hungry, and tonight I'm really just going to advertise some things related to this phrase because it is a, there's a lot to it. I'm not going to go anymore and keep saying the same thing over and over. What's the phrase? They sang the song of Moses and the Lamb. That's the phrase. You know, how's that such a big deal? Well, let's look. Here in Revelation 15, 1 through 4, before we get into the rest of the details of Revelation 15, which we will in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about Justin Truari's ways related to his judgments. We're going to talk about Revelation 15 as the intro for the bowls of wrath, because that's Revelation 15 as well. But before we touch on any of that, we're just going to look at this one phrase. Here it is, Revelation 15, 1 through 4. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Those that had been victorious over the beast, that's the Antichrist, and its image, and the number of its name, they held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. All right, so let's dive into this a little bit. First point, it's the song of the victorious. So as we're going to unpack what is the song of the Lamb and what is the song of Moses, because that's what this is. It says it's the song of Moses and the Lamb. As we do that, let's recognize who is it that's singing it? It's the song of the victorious. Those that are victorious over the Antichrist at the end of the age, that means they stood against him and they did not take the mark of the beast. They probably were martyred. We actually know that they were because the context of those singing right here, it says they were victorious. Well, where are they? They're in heaven before the throne. How did they get there? They died. Well, I thought they were victorious. They were, they didn't bow down. That's what victorious means at the end of the age. We're going to need a little bit of definition shift for us as we enter into the greatest time of persecution that the earth has ever seen. We're going to need clear revelation. Victorious doesn't mean doesn't die. Victorious means doesn't bow. Victorious means stands firm for Jesus. Victorious means Stephen in the midst of stoning, looking up at Jesus and going, I love you. I will be faithful to you. I will hold the line and hold the truth and they can throw whatever they want at me. And if today's my last day, then if I perish, I perish. Victorious means standing for the Lord. This is a song that the victorious sing. So picture it, you got all these martyrs in heaven, and now they begin to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, and it's, they're, they're, this, they're connected realities. They're getting to sing it because they're the victorious ones, and the victorious ones sing it because this is the song the victorious ones sing, okay? Next point, it's called the Song of Moses. Again, I, I want to give you just a little heads up that... There is so much meant by that statement that we're going to look at, and I doubt we'll even, I, I don't have much understanding. But what little bit we can see that I understand already is a ton. This is a loaded statement, the song of Moses. And we'll look at why in a minute. One of the things that's a helpful detail is understanding a little bit of what's implied by that title. So if you're going to sing a song and, and the songwriter's title uh, was thought through in order to connect it to some things, let's think about what it means that this, this song that's being sung is it's called the Song of Moses and the Lamb. We'll, we'll touch on that too. But I just want to focus on that Song of Moses thing. The Song of Moses 
means it's going to imply a lot. There's a lot implied in that title. One, it means Moses has a song, and he does. It's that the song's actually recorded in the Bible. That's another detail that's interesting. And we'll look at uh, at least part of it. it this song is going to bring to account Moses' faithfulness against Pharaoh. This song is going to really unpack the entire Exodus journey. The song of Moses is a song of remembrance. It's a song of Israel's history. It's a song of God's faithfulness. I mean, there's just a lot there when we say that term, the, the song of Moses. It means a lot. Well, just another little point that I was struck by today as I was thinking about this and praying about this. This song, because the song of Moses is recorded in the Bible elsewhere in Exodus and then arguably in Exodus 15 and then also in Deuteronomy 32. This song is recorded in the Bible. Now here's what's interesting. Heaven is singing a song that was written on earth. Just think of the ramifications. <laughs> think of the implications there. Heaven, we've got it right here. It says they sang the song of Moses. What song of Moses? The one Moses sang. Where? While he was on planet Earth. Where did he get the song? He wrote it on Earth. But where are they? They're in heaven. Well, what are they doing? They're singing it. Now, this is an interesting idea that I want all you worship leaders to try to touch. At least in this one case, and I'm betting others. In fact, we know others. At least in this case, heaven... These saints, and probably the angels too, are singing a song a human worship leader wrote on planet Earth. Whoa. Heaven sings Earth songs. That is a profound statement just in and of itself. All right, well, let's go to the Song of the Lamb. So similarly, that's a title that matters. It's a title that has depth to it. One, it means the Lamb has a song. That means Jesus has a song. There's a song of Jesus. Wow. Next, whatever this song means, it must be really important. I mean, how can it be connected to Jesus? How can it be called Jesus' song, the song of the Lamb, and not be really, really important? The testimony of Jesus, this is another point, it's not only going to be spoken, the testimony of Jesus is going to be sung. The testimony about him in heaven and on earth. Or maybe not be such a, a new idea to us, but there's just a lot that's meant in that. <laughs> but here's the trick, the kicker for me. This song isn't called the Song of Moses, and it's not called the Song of the Lamb. It's called the Song of Moses and the Lamb. So this song is both. The song belongs to both of them. Like, when did Moses and Jesus sit down and write a song? But it's called the Song of Moses and the Lamb. This is deep. I mean, these are deep waters here. This is this takes peering into. This takes meditation to get some clarity here. I don't have a lot of clarity, but I'm going to give you a few ideas. One, in uh, Acts three twenty-two, we know that the uh, the Messianic community that, and really the the uh, community. Of, uh, of the Hasidic that believe in God, believe in Jehovah, but they're not looking to Jesus, but they're, they believe in Jehovah. They are waiting for Moses 2.0 to come. 
They are waiting for a greater Moses. They are looking for a prophet like Moses that will be even more Moses than Moses was Moses. They are looking for Moses 2.0. All right, Acts uh, 3.22. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Look at Hebrews 3, 3 through 6. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was a, as, was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Here's my point in this. This song is connecting the greatest prophet in the Bible and is connecting Jesus Christ, the apostle of our faith, who is the greater Moses. And this song is called the song of Moses and of Jesus. It's their song. This is just a big deal. This is a really big deal. Well, I'll throw it in there for you song nerds. If you wanna go and do a little bit extra study, what's really interesting, when you look at the song that immediately follows, when it says, and they sang the song of, of, Jesus, of Moses and of the Lamb, the song that follows is actually more closely related to Psalm 86. I gave you the verse there, gave you the passage. It's far more closely related to Psalm 86 than it is to any song in the Bible that is called the Song of Moses. I just throw that out there because I know part of the interpretive key to understand the Song of Moses and of the Lamb is to also understand Psalm 86. So I just gave that to you there. You can study that on your own. All right, well, let's look at the Song of the Lamb a little bit. Let's touch on that. Now, I'm going to give you some reference points here. And again, I, I'm, I'm admitting to you, I don't have a lot of clarity on this. I have never taught this subject before. I just knew, man, it's staring at me. And the deeper I, the more I dug, the deeper I found this hole to be, that there was a lot there to dig up related to revelation about this. And so I wanted to give us a whole session of notes on it for us to look at later. First point of reference. In Revelation 5, 8 through 9, it says they sang a new song. This is around the throne. They sang a new song, but the new song was all about the lamb. So in Revelation 5, it's not called the song of the lamb, but it's a new song that was sung, and it's a song about the lamb on the throne. So I just throw that in there as another one of those interpretive keys. Uh, there it is in Revelation 5, 8 through 9, the four living creatures, 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song. What's the song? You are worthy. Who? The lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. So there's a song here that's a new song that's about the lamb. Is that the song of the lamb? I don't know, but it's a song about the lamb. Next, the song of the 144,000. I just want to bring this up, just this, the, another point that we've already looked at. It says this group, the 144,000 that's before the throne, we looked at this a few weeks ago, says they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And they follow the lamb wherever he goes. So this group of 144,000, they're closely connected to the lamb and they're learning a new song. And it says that only they can learn this new song. This song is related to the lamb. Okay. How about Song of Solomon? 
Let's just look at this for a second. Song of Solomon 1, 1 through 2. Now we know Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. We know Solomon wrote a big old long song, eight chapters long. It's a, it's a whole play that's going on there, but it's a song. It's called the Song of All Songs. Well, here it is. Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Now, this, there's some things going on here. This song, Song of Solomon, chapter one through eight, it's the longest song recorded in the Bible. It's a big old long song. It's also a song all about the relationship of the church to the Lamb. It's all about the relationship of the body of Christ with God, specifically the church with Jesus. This, this whole song is a song about the relationship, this greatest commandment relationship, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a song. It's the longest song in the Bible. It's called the Song of Songs. You know, if you're called the Song of Songs, it's like being called the King of Kings. It means you're the king over all the kings. This is the song over all the songs. This is the best song. It's the greatest song, but it's Solomon's song. But we're told in Revelation chapter 15 that Jesus, the lamb, has a song. Now, here's just a couple points. This is just a dude who didn't do so good in school, okay? Just giving you a couple just simple points here. Solomon was deemed the wisest man to have ever lived. He is also the son of the greatest songwriter that we have in recorded history, at least from a biblical perspective, from a Christian perspective, David. David wrote all the boss songs, all of them. Solomon is the smartest guy. Solomon is the son of the songwriter. If anybody has got right to write the song that would be called the best darn song there ever was, the song of songs, if anybody has that right, it's Solomon. He's the wisest guy, and he's the son of the key songwriter of history from, from the uh, Christian tradition. Okay? That's the first point. Second, even with that being the case, it somehow seems inappropriate that Solomon's song is better than Jesus's. Jesus has a song. And if Solomon's song is the song of all songs, that means his song is better than Jesus's. That seems a little off to me. There seems some, somewhere in, see, it makes me wonder, is the song of Solomon the song of the Lamb plus somehow? See, there's mysteries woven in here. And I'm telling you right now, I don't have all this worked out. I'm just telling you right now, there is a lot here for anybody who's hungry. A lot. All right, let's keep going. Song of Moses and Israel. Now this is it's really intense. What I'm about to do is I'm going to go through two songs. And I'm, I don't have time to really give you much detail about either one of them because we've only got a few minutes and then you're supposed to break up into groups and talk about this hot mess. Okay? I'm going to give you... Two songs, I'm going to give you just a little bit about each one of them, but I'm going to give you kind of a little bit of context of what's going on here. We know Israel came up out of Egypt. We know they crossed over the Red Sea, and then they entered into a 40-year wilderness journey that then eventually ended in them coming into the promised land, which was always their inheritance, okay? What we're about to do is we're going to look at two songs that just so happened to be right when they crossed the Red Sea and begin the journey, 
And right at the end of the journey, right before they go into the promised land, their book ends. And they're both songs written by Moses. Moses actually wrote and sang two songs. Now, when we start to look at the details of these songs, there's just a lot going on. And when I say details, I just mean context. I don't even mean the meat of the words because there's too much there to go into in an introductory session like this. I just want to give you a few of the ideas here. They just got done crossing the Red Sea. And then it says, uh, says that they start to sing this song. Uh, yeah, let's look here. Exodus 15, 1, middle of page on page 4. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you a two-point two uh, or two-part concept here. If you're three million people and all your animals, and you just walked through a Red Sea, you are not writing a song while you are writing or walking. You are trying to escape they are screaming, they are running for their lives because there are bad guys in chariots chasing them. Nobody's got their iPhone out writing down a song, okay? That's not what's happening. They're running for their lives, all right? They get out of the Red Sea and God then has the waters closed down on all the bad guys. And now the bad guys are gone and Israel's taking their first breath and going, whoo, and catching their breath for a second. And then it says they spontaneously, all of them erupt into a song about what just happened, but it hasn't been written down yet. Two things. It's a prophetic song. Possibly the most prophetic song in the whole Bible. Chew on that one. And it's a corporate song. There's a corporate anointing that lands on the people to some degree, some significant degree, because it says this, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. What song? You know, the one that we're, we're going to open our mouths in about six seconds and a song's going to come out and we're going to sing it. Aren't there three million of you? Yeah, we've got it. Well, when did you rehearse it? You know, Holy Spirit. <laughs> it says they crossed the Red Sea and then Moses and the Israelites sing this song to the Lord. How is that possible? They, it doesn't say a day later. It doesn't say a week later. It doesn't say they sat around and went, man, that was crazy. Let's start. It says it's a response. It's like when something good happens to you, and you go, hallelujah, and you mean it. And if, if you didn't premeditate when good things happen to me, I'm going to say hallelujah out loud. Something erupted out of you that went, yeah. And you're all excited. And you're, you're, it's a prophetic act, actually. Something from your inmost being is coming out going, hallelujah, that, that thing, God just did that thing. This is their hallelujah. It just so happens it's a long song that they're all singing together somehow without amplification. They don't have microphones. And it says Moses and Israel sang the song. That's crazy. That's crazy. And it's a really long song. You just imagine them looking around at each other and going, how are we still singing this? I didn't learn the lyrics. I mean, like, they're singing. 
right out of the midst of the, it's a prophetic song. So now how all that works, how all that fleshed out, I don't know. What I do know is it's a prophetic response to what just happened because the whole song is about the deliverance that just took place, but they haven't had time to learn it yet. They sing about the Red Sea deliverance. They sing of his might. They praise him. They declare terror over the nations. Man, that's just intense. They're singing. Part of their song is, oh, other nations, duck. Here we come. I mean, look out. God just did it for us once. Watch out. Don't stand in our way. It's really intense when you start to look at the details of this song that is just erupting out of them, and then they sing about the promised land. This is such a picture of the end time prayer movement, honestly, that the Lord is going to be moving and anointing groups of people, congregations, even the church in some nations, I believe, to have prophetic song that is in partnership with what he's doing. This is a whole nother level of touching heaven in the place of worship. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable what's occurring here. And I think it's a real picture of the anointing that will come on the church in the last days for us to be in genuine partnership with him. And I don't mean it's going to happen just like this. I mean, if this happened, anything can. If this happened, anything is possible and we will see expressions of the power of the Holy Spirit anointing prophetic singers, a whole congregation, a whole conference, a whole stadium of people hitting them with the song of the Lord. This is going to get powerful. But aren't we going to need weapons of that magnitude to fight what's coming? We will. All right, what about, that was the song of Moses in Exodus 15. It's called, uh, it just says the song that Moses and, all, and Israel sang. It doesn't actually call it the song of Moses. But the reason that I, I wanted to link that is because when you look at the details of the song of Moses, there are many of the details that you find in, in uh, Exodus 15, the song we just looked at. They're in the same, uh, same ideas are in the Revelation 15 song that we read just a minute ago. Remember that song was a short song. That song was only like three lines long. But the themes that are in that are found in Exodus 15, the song that Moses sang. All right, well, now let's talk about the song that is more notably known as the song of Moses. It's at the end of the desert wanderings. In fact, Moses, was, uh, Moses recited this song the day the Lord told him, hey, Mo, you're a dead man. Today is the day you're going to climb up on that mountain and you're going to die today. You're not crossing over to the promised land. You sinned against me, you and your brother. I love you. You get to be a part of you know, my inheritance forever, but you don't get to be a part of the land inheritance because you, we got to breach a contract, okay? The day that Moses is told, go up onto the mountain and there you will be gathered to your family, to your fathers. That day is the day that Moses recites this song. But it's interesting because it says the word recites this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. You remember the song a minute ago, it just burst forth. This one is recited. Now, my understanding of that word reciting means from memory. This is one Moses has rehearsed. It's the exact opposite situation as what happened on the day that they came up out of uh, the Red Sea. That one was spontaneous. This one is, this one's recorded. This one's prepared. He's got it memorized. It's, it's a sermon song. This is the song of Moses, and it's long. It's twice as long as the other one. It's long. This is a big old long song. And both of them serve as bookends. I just find that, it's like, Lord, you had Moses, this prophet, who's known as the prophet of all prophets, 
and he's a prophetic singer. And he's the one that sings the song at the beginning of the Exodus journey, and he's the one that sings the song at the end of the Exodus journey. First one was purely prophetic, second one was well rehearsed and thought through. And the one that's well rehearsed and thought through, it covers themes from the 40 years of them wandering around the desert. The, the one that, was, that came out on the day of the Exodus, the way they came up out of the, uh, of the Red Sea, it's just spontaneous. It's talking about what just happened. It was awesome. But the Song of Moses in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, this one is describing themes over the 40 years. This is Moses thinking back about all the trials and the stuff that went on and the stuff that, that should have gone better. Also, there's a major difference in tone. The Exodus 15 song that happened right after, the ex, after they came up out of the sea, that one's all like happy and excited and God, you're awesome. You just killed all our bad guys. You just judged the nations that were coming against us. Boy, the song in uh, Deuteronomy 32, it's a tougher one. It's, it's Moses singing about how faithless Israel has been for 40 years in their desert wanderings. And it's like, oh, God, we know you're still God. We know you're still going to give us the promises. But man, did we turn to other gods. We turned to idols. We turned to all kinds of things. All right. Well, let's look at some parallel themes, and then we'll break up into discussion groups here. Some parallel themes. What we're going to do now is we're going to go back and forth between the song in Revelation, which we're given. That's, you know, let's read it one more time. Revelation uh, 15, 3 through 4, top of page, or I guess it's middle of page 7 if you're in the notes. Let's read this uh, song one more time because it was right before this. It says, and they sang the song of, the servant, uh, of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And then it says this, great and marvelous are your deeds. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at the parallels between this song in Revelation chapter 15, which is identified as the song of Moses and the Lamb. It's identified as the song of Moses. We're going to now look at the parallels between that and the, the song that Moses sung in Deuteronomy chapter two, uh, 32 at the end of the desert wanderings. Here we go, one at a time. Acknowledging that his ways are just and true. Uh, Revelation 15, just and true are your ways. Deuteronomy 32, he is a rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he glorifying the name of the Lord. It's not a surprise that God's greatness and his unsurpassing nature would be uh, uh, sung in both songs. The name of the Lord being highlighted, Revelation 15, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? Glory to the name of God, Revelation 15. Deuteronomy 32, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. So the, the greatness of the name of God is another theme that carries over between the song of Moses found in Revelation 15 and the song of Moses found in, Re in Deuteronomy 32. Let's go to the next one. The nations rejoicing and worshiping. Revelation 15, all nations will come and worship before you. Top of page eight. For your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the nations rejoicing. Revelation 15. But Deuteronomy 32, this one's interesting. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, with the Israelites, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. Now, why is this interesting? Because by the time we got to Revelation in 
natural history, when the book of Revelation was written, there was a clear understanding God likes all people. God wants all people saved. God cares about every single nation. That was clear. That was not as clear <laughs> in the time period when Moses wrote and sang Psalm 32, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 32. He was prophesying, I think, well beyond his level of understanding. Because what he said in his song was, Rejoice, all you nations that have false gods that don't believe in Jehovah. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice with God's people Israel. You actually will rejoice with God's people Israel. Why? Why would we rejoice? You know, because it kills everybody who kills us. This is, this is a real moment of prophetic clarity that Moses was prophesying because he is in essence proclaiming at the end of the age all the nations are going to rejoice with God's people Israel over the purposes that God has for Israel all the nations will the nations will actually know the name of our God of the Jewish God of Jehovah and his son the nations will know they will rejoice that's powerful well let's end with this because this to me is the most profound the great tribulation and the vengeance of the second coming are found in Deuteronomy 32, the song of Moses. I'm going to say it again. The great tribulation, the trouble that happens in the great tribulation, and specifically the vengeance of Jesus Christ coming back in the sky with a sword and killing people. Those two themes are found in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the song of Moses. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy 32, 22 through uh, 24, the great tribulation. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvests and set afire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap calamities on them and send my arrows against them. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and daily plague. I will send against them the fangs of wild beasts, the venom of vipers that glide in the dust, the wild beasts. There it is from Revelation chapter six when we looked at the seals. And it said that one of the seals, I think it was the fourth, the fourth is going to have the release of wild beasts. This is Moses. The song of Moses is prophesying about the great tribulation. Well, it gets crazier. I sharpen, this is Deuteronomy chapter 32, the song of Moses. I sharpen my flashing sword and my hands, my hand grasps it in judgment. What? Yeah, well, look up at Revelation 19 right, right above it there. With justice, this is Jesus coming back. With justice, he judges and makes war. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Deuteronomy 32, I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment. I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh. The blood of the slain and the captives. Guys, remember, this is Moses singing. Okay, let's all just sing it now, okay? He devours the flesh of it. He slain the captives, the heads of his enemy leaders. Moses is singing! Deuteronomy 32 is a song. It's the song of Moses and it's about the lamb because remember, it's the song of Moses and the lamb. See, 
You see, in the, there's just a lot more there that I don't understand. He will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. The song of Moses and the Lamb. All right, well, good luck. You're going to break up into groups and talk about it. So the, uh, is the question kind of about timing? Okay, so uh, <coughs> the song that is being sung that is recorded specifically in Revelation chapter 15 is a song of victory. It's a song of those that were victorious over the Lamb. Uh, so uh, when is this song being sung in the timing of uh, end time events? Is that more or less your question? Okay. Um, so Revelation chapter 15 is the introduction to the bowls of wrath. Remember, there's seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls of wrath, and they happen in sequential order. So you're talking about the final judgment series, the bowls of wrath, and those bowls of wrath start at the end of the great tribulation period. So those are not, you know, at the beginning or in the middle. They're at the end. Now, this is actually after the saints have completed the, uh, the full time period of the great tribulation as far as it pertains to them, because remember, the saints are taken up to be with the Lord at the last trumpet, okay? Well, the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is right before the bowls happen. Now, if you guys, if you're reeling, you're like, what is he talking about? We did a bunch of sessions on these things. Go back and listen to them. We, we laid all this out. But for those of you who've been tracking, the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, is when the church is raptured. So this is now actually in some sort of connection. This is right before the bowls are being poured out. This is the fullness of the saints that are... are uh, uh, that have died in martyrdom during the, the process of the Great Tribulation. Um, though, because it's happening in heaven, I don't think that this scene is actually including the saints that are being raptured. I think they're meeting the Lord in the air, and this is like, you know, the, this is, there, there's some mystery here that I don't have all the details completely uh, nailed down, but in the broad strokes, we're seeing here the saints that have been martyred throughout the Great Tribulation period right before the bowls of wrath are being poured out. So it's a song of their victory that they made it through the Great Tribulation. You could really even uh, uh, parallel the victory that's being sung in Revelation 15 with the testimony of those that were faithful in Revelation 12. Uh, when we looked at uh, Revelation 12 and those being the ones that they, uh, they did not love their lives even unto death, they stayed uh, victorious in the face of the Antichrist, that whole uh, concept. So uh, great question. Okay, uh, let's go here. The question was, what's the song of the Lamb? <laughs> and is it possible that it's bigger than one song and that it's everybody's song and it's all history's song? Maybe, probably, I, there's a lot there. I don't know. One thing I can tell you, it's a song. And it's a Lamb song. <laughs> so whatever it is, it's that. And, and... I think that there's some relevance in it being identified as a song, but I also think that when we enter into eternity and we no longer have the restraints of time, we can sing ourselves a really long song and it's going to be okay. And I have no doubt that the testimony of history, it also seems inappropriate to me, just as a little side point, it seems inappropriate to me that the Lamb's song wouldn't include the testimony of all of those that have loved him. I mean, that seems to me like, how could, you, 
How could it be the song and not be a, a, a the completion, the fullness, the... So there's just, there's a lot of mystery there. So I, I, I don't know how to talk about this uh, dogmatically, succinctly, clearly. Uh, it, there is a lot going on there. And so I think whatever your group was thinking about, yeah, and more. And also then some restraints that we'll find out later in order to, how to figure out how to get that thing back to center a little bit. But, but I think those are good thoughts to think. You know, is this the song of, of everybody's testimony about Jesus? And it may, it may be, but it's the song of the victorious. I, sorry, I'm not more help. Uh, question. Uh, so the question was, you know, we, we're just looking at one phrase mostly in Revelation chapter 15. Uh, you know, how did that become eight pages of notes? Well, the the beauty of the word is there's so much richness and depth to it. And while I do think this one's a little unique, at least it was unique to me because it was a subject that was so new, I think that this is probably not so far out of place for any phrase in the Bible once we've got living revelation. And so if the question becomes a little bit practical, uh, Practically, how did this happen? I've spent a lot of time reading the Bible. That's how this happened. And so I, I'm, I'm looking at it. And plus, thank you, Jesus, for Bible Gateway and a cross-reference system that doesn't require me opening a physical concordance anymore. Those were tough days, friends. <laughs> I remember those days, okay? Uh, I am so grateful for a, a concordance that you got online that you got access to all this because you just go. It's like, you know, when I read that phrase, I was like, you know what? I know there's a song of, the, of Moses back there in, in Deuteronomy. I think it's in Deuteronomy. And then I started looking. I was like, oh, no, it's in Exodus. I was like, no, it's in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And then you start looking, and then you start doing some cross-references of some phrases and some words. You go, oh, no, it's, it's actually in Psalm 68 or, or what is 80, 86. And like, oh, man, well, but all these things line up with what's being written in Revelation 15. Here's the thing. If you think the Bible's boring, you're reading it wrong. There is so much. I mean, we just advertised a menu. You ate nothing. We're just talking about the menu tonight. Like this is like, oh my gosh, there's so much here to go then and chew on and go, Holy Spirit, lead me and let all those little rabbit trails lead you someplace. And so, uh, you know, the, the glory of really what tonight did, because obviously exposed my complete lack of understanding of the subject, uh, but the glory of it is the depths of the riches that are in the word if we'll go on the journey. And so I really do want to encourage you, look at tonight, and some of you, I'm, I'm really given a challenge, turn tonight's teaching into a three-part series or an eight-part. Like, take this and run with it and go get real clarity on it. So, Father, we just thank you so much for the matchless word. It's awesome. You wrote this. You, you did this. Man, the wisdom, the beauty, the glory. So, Father, I pray that you put within us something that would ache to reach, to learn, to want more. Seed something in us as we study the book of Revelation and then give us infinitely more as we go and chase it out. In Jesus' name. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.